Okay, I'm going to give it my best. I'm going to stand slightly away from this microphone because I will project. But it's kind of like a kind of sound. That It sounds like something out of a horror movie. Yeah, I, I don't want to have group sex with that. Hello everyone, I'm Trevor Campbell and this is You Made Me Queer, the show where I and a gang of my queerest friends go on a subterranean treasure hunt in the Pacific Northwest because Cindy Lauper said so. Yes, that's a Goonies reference. That's right, every episode I invite a fantastic 2S LGBTQIA plus guest to point the finger of blame at who and or what made them queer. My conversation today with my guest is a long and winding road, uh, you could call it, that I think you're really going to love. So I'm going to keep my intro short because last week's was long. You remember that deep dive into Mr. Peanut? I heard actually from quite a lot of you who said they really liked that. So, hey, thanks. Also, huh? Is that what you like? You sick fucks. You want utter nonsense on this podcast more? Okay, let me know, because sometimes I do a long intro, sometimes I have a long intro-style chat with my guest before I drop the big queer question with them, because I want you to get to know them personally before we start throwing accusations around and things get hot. Anyway, this show can be a compromise between me, uh, the parent, and you, the auditor, from Child Protective Services, the podcast in this situation being my child. I'm not quite sure what's happening, but if you want me to do it and I want to do it, which is a very thin little strip, maybe I'll do it. So email me. Let me know. What do you like? More Mr. Peanut? Is this just a Mr. Peanut podcast from now on? I'm open to it. Email me at youmademequeer at gmail.com. Let's get bossy. And on that note, my guest today is someone I spoke to from halfway around the planet. Thanks, Zoom. Thanks, technology. My guest is Maya Stewartson. Maya, wonderful, candid, spontaneous, creative, surprising, uh, a very exciting guest that I loved talking to. Let's learn a little more about Maya Stewartson. Maya is an actor who resides between... Adelaide and Melbourne. Yes, I said Melbourne because that's how you say it. That R, not unlike my queer rage, is sometimes silent. Maya's professional screen debut was with the widely acclaimed feature Girl Asleep. Very stylish, sort of Wes Anderson-esque but not derivative film made by director Rosemary Myers. Maya won the Emerging Artist of the Year Award in 2019 for her role as Catherine in A View from a Bridge for the State Theatre Company of South Australia. Ah, yes, The View from that Bridge. On a clear day, you can see the bowling alley. Maya's screen credits include her co-leading role in queer coming-of-age film My First Summer, which looks fantastic. It's currently on the Australian network Stan, which also premiered in Toronto at the Inside Out Festival recently. You will be able to find that in North America soon. Maya also filmed a guest role in ABC's, that's Australian Broadcasting Company, not ABC in North America, on their show The Investigators, which is streaming globally on Netflix. In 2020, Maya played the role of Marina Oswald, yes, Lee Harvey Oswald's widow for nhk international docudrama unsolved cases colon the jfk assassination and most recently my appeared in season two a first day which will stream on hulu in the united states in canada i don't know what maybe crave do some homework find it 
You will love it because Maya's got it, baby. In addition to acting, Maya is developing her first television series, as well as an interactive exhibition project in South Australia, and her soon-to-be-re-released podcast, which she talks a little bit about at the end of this episode. Talking to Maya was an absolute treat. I think you're going to love it. We go all over the place, as one is wont to do in the Australian outback. Okay, so uh, let's go to Xanadu, baby. Without further ado, this is my conversation with the exceptional Maya Stewartson. MySpace, not Zoom ready, but I figured <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> Looks great. Have we got some laundry happening over there? Yeah, so this is like half of the laundry mm-hmm. because I got too tired last night and I'd popped too many melatonin <laughs> and was like halfway through like doing the stuff and then I was just like zonking out and then this is the self-testing setup yes so we've got domestic land acting land oh my god all happening at once all in one space and i love you have a director's chair with like the cloth back in between thank you i do actually sit in the director's chair when i'm like self-testing it's a bit of an ego thing (laughs) i kind of I, i can't let it go anymore like my my partner's a photographer so she actually found that on like a marketplace thing for a shoot that she did. And I went, I'm going to pinch that because I'd like to sit and do my (laughs) self-tests in it while I'm... Yeah, it's either that or a throne, right? Really, or a chaise lounge. I can really... Could you imagine? I could fuck with that. If Zoom came on and you were like fully reclined with a cigarette in a cigarette holder? Yes, and I would be like... Maybe like some peeled grapes on the side. <laughs> and your partner is like, like feeding them to you. Totally, totally. I could definitely make that happen. That would be fun. I'm glad we have the same aspirations and vision of what we deserve. Right? Yeah. Exactly right. I, I feel like if you're, I talk about this all the time, but being an actor is this weird place of existing between thinking you are the shit and that you are king of the world, but then also thinking that you are a literal piece of shit. And sometimes you just need those days where you really amp yourself up and you're hyping yourself up and think (laughs) that you're the greatest because 90% of the time I don't think that about myself. So I have to take the wins when I've got them. (laughs) 100%. Hey, it's like with all that, you find the happy medium where you can be a normal person. Yes. Because so much of your career is built on other people saying yes or no. Totally. Like you can't just be empowered because you ha- you need them to agree. <laughs> exactly. And towing that fine line of being palatable, but also, you know, being authentic to you because it's like sometimes I feel that the, I mean, the industry is full of double standards, but sometimes I roll my eyes when people are like, just be you. We just want to see you in the room. It's like, actually, you want to see like the version of me that you'd like. And I do have to like do a level of prep to be me in like, I've booked jobs where I've been authentic, but I've obviously like known the tone and, and the kind of version of me that someone would like, and I'm catering it to them. Yeah. So it is, it is like a weird space. It's like you plus it's like, um, in a job interview, like when you were a teenager, if you worked at a fast food place or something, and Mm. when they ask you that question, like, what's your worst quality? Yeah. Like, you don't want to know my worst quality. You it's truly deep fucking and good. dark. Yes. Yeah. You want me to be like, mm, I try too hard or I'm too much of a perfectionist. Yes. It's, oh my gosh, that is so true. And I think, what was it? I was in a job interview once and I said something so rogue that they kind of didn't really know how to deal with it. They were like, what's your worst quality? And I think I looked at them and I sounded nuts. I was like, so... There's this person that lives in my brain called Becky and she's a real bitch. So I I started off with that and then like immediately was like, this job is to work in mental health and I've started like this, but that's okay. And I was like, basically, (laughs) there's, there's a Becky that lives in my brain. She's a real bitch. She makes my life really hard. And most of the time, Becky's got like stuff in her room that keeps her occupied and I can function as a person. But when Becky like breaks all of the stuff in her room and then all of the windows and then manages to escape it's really hard for me to function and the interview and I thought it was kind of funny because I was like <laughs> I'm working in you know my day job is that I, I work in mental health and I thought mm. oh this is a great opportunity for me to show my you know sense of humor and also my lived experience with mental health but mm-hmm. I didn't quite realize the bureaucracy of the place I was going to so they kind of were like um, does this they're person like, have undiagnosed wait. schizophrenia? And they're just <laughs> like hammering the panic button underneath the desk. Totally, while you're talking. totally, totally. Yeah. I, and I tried to kind of like, I really tried to 
just make it work. And I was yeah. like, okay, I've bombed. The joke has bombed. No one's laughing. <laughs> I'm the only one that's laughing. Oh, no. I've been in this room for 35 minutes. So I really tried to revive it, but it didn't happen. Did you get that job? I actually did. You did? <laughs> I, did. Okay. I did. I did. I did. I did. I did. Um, so I worked for six months in like forensic mental health, which was oh, really whoa. intense. What's yeah. the forensic? Forensics for me, I immediately go to sort of like um, like a CSI sort of. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So working with, I worked like one-on-one with pretty high care clients out of jail. Okay. So kind of like looking at recovery, but how to kind of keep people from not reoffending. Oh, awesome. Um, and like that's, it was totally incredible, but ultra, ultra draining um, because the, the risk was just so high. And then once acting, like I kind of found myself in this really unique opportunity where I went, okay, COVID has totally changed what my career looks like for at least the next like two to three years. I have this opportunity to guilt-free go and upskill in a totally different environment, keep working on my stuff, but know that I'm not I'm not going to be rapidly auditioning and I don't have to be in one of the big cities in Australia. Mm-hmm. So I stayed in South Australia and like got this forensic mental health job, which was amazing. But then when acting work picked back up, I had to like take all the skills from that work kind of under my own name in mental health um, in a way that I could like balance my hours better with the acting expectations. That's such a cool combination too, because I mean, so much of understanding the human condition is so useful for acting, huh? Uh, It was amazing. Like I, I believe that all humans I think should go and work six months in disability regardless. I think Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I work with so many different people from so many different walks of life and just, it never fails to astound me, the layers and intersections that humans have and for a lot of the people that I worked with they felt like their main identifier was um, living with a disability and that all these other parts of them like sexuality identity mental illness lived experience like class racism like all of those things were kind of ignored because they fell under this one big category and so encouraging my clients to see themselves wholly and like accept and nourish all of these other parts of themselves that maybe the wider world doesn't recognize has been so amazing. Oh my God. So like being able to have conversations about sexuality with a client or about identity or about like classism has been so cool because, you know, I think a lot of people who work in mental health and disability maybe forget that people have so many different layers to them. And that all totally comes back into the acting space. I learned so much about trauma and memory and like your early years and how formative they are for how adults then, you know, interact with the world. Uh-huh. Very cool. 100%. Very, very cool. I'm not one of those, I almost said COVID apologists, but what <laughs> I mean by that is like, you know, when folks are like, I'm actually really lucky that COVID happened because blah, blah, blah. So I know you're not saying that, but mm. I mean, what an opportunity to, instead of just taking that time and just spiraling and feeling like, what am I doing with my career? You were able to find that really important outlet. It was amazing. And also talking with my clients about COVID and isolation has been really oh, yeah. eye-opening. So for a lot of people I work with, they're isolated in their every day and 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 um they don't have people showing up for them in the way that they should and access you know was priority when covid was first happening but now has kind of dwindled which is something i like i'm really interested in in changing in the in the future but um talking yeah about how covid has impacted people with disabilities and what community and connection um has been fostered within those communities and how like the able-bodied community could learn so much has been incredible. But it was just, it was honestly just COVID allowed me the time and space to actually go and do a job where I could show up every single day and not be super stressed about the fact that I might be, you know, leaving in two weeks time with no notice. Yeah, totally. I guess we all had that where we got to be like, well, I'm not going anywhere. So Mm. I can make plans, Yeah, which is real nice. But then on the other hand, you also live in a country where like uh, the other day, a 10 foot snake came out of a spice rack at a supermarket. So you really, I feel like have to seize the moment anyway. That's very, that's very true. And I mean, in Australia, I don't know what it's, what it's been like elsewhere as much because I've been pretty, I've been trying to be actively engaged in the news, but on a on a time span that is like healthy for me. So not checking the news first thing in the morning and and like getting my news from like the ABC in Australia 
I like the daily mm-hmm. um, podcast by the New York Times and then Al Jazeera mm-hmm. and then kind of only having those three uh, news outlets in my brain rather than spiraling down like a Facebook wormhole. Oh, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. It's, it's just been... <laughs> There's no good news there. No, I know, I know. And it's just been, it's been really interesting um, navigating COVID in Australia where the discourse seemed to be like, we're fine, it's all great. We don't have the death rates that the US are having, but instead we kind of have this like gross misinformation and like this real pushback against vaccination and against lockdown in the name of like freedom. And it's really, it's super challenging to to watch. It's really weird. I'm in, we're in Canada here. So I'm in Canada here. It's just mm. me. There's no we. <laughs> but even though we're, <laughs> I didn't mean to go dark with that. Um, <laughs> yes, I live in a basement apartment. Fine. Yeah. But even though we're right next door to the States, we do the same thing where we talk about ourselves like we're this completely separate entity with completely d- uh, different social politics. Whereas a lot of the same things are happening here with people being sort of self-righteous about their health or about what they, you know, can do safely. And we're, you know, we're going into our fourth wave. Our numbers are spiking. Uh, It's tricky too, because we have, I think it's a time when a lot of people are hesitant to trust world leaders with good reason. We just came out of a dark age. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, 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 I can totally understand that. And I don't actually have, um, I think I have like one or two friends that are living in New Zealand, but for mm-hmm. I, I use New Zealand as the example of, you know, Jacinta Ardern seems to be like a fantastic leader. She knows how to compassionately speak with people and get them on side. And yes, I know that their population is much smaller, but I would be really interested to hear from folks living in New Zealand, mm-hmm. whether that kind of m- mistrust and skepticism around are our leaders making the best choices for us exists there. And I think, yeah, I mean, look, it would be really hard to be a world leader at this time, full stop. But I think the lack of the lack of compassion has just really thrown me. And like it has kind of distressed me because I don't understand how in a in a world where things are rapidly changing and they're intense and terrifying, why you can't just strip it all back and be the human that's trying their absolute best to be a held accountable because humans make mistakes, but be trying to keep people in spirits that are hopeful. Cause I feel like hope is one of the most powerful things you can have at a time like this. Oh my God. You're totally right. And I'm going to seize that. Cause I think it's the perfect segue uh, about hope and, and losing hope and corruption. Go for it. So of course, now we know Maya uh, being distinguished, successful adults <laughs> about the things that go on behind closed doors. But when we were young, we didn't know, especially about things that could make us queer yeah so for example eating an especially jammy lamington or spending more than 24 consecutive hours in perth i've just always found perth to be a queer city you know i've never been i have never ever been to perth my partner loves it there she was like we should move and i was like well, if I was wanting to be a nurse, okay. But <laughs> Perth is pretty think... much on its own. Yeah, very yeah. much so. It's got a very similar vibe to Adelaide in that it's like a, you know, small city. Yeah. Nice, nice views. It's you cute. Know. But yeah, it's yeah. it's no. Have you been? I've been. I've been to a few places in Australia and I love Australia very much. I'm more like, I'm going to say it the wrong way, Melbourne. That's very good. Oh my gosh, oh, love my it. Gosh, thank you so much. So Melbourne or Sydney are my faves. I like Perth. Adelaide is fine. Hobart is great in Tasmania. Yeah, I've I've never been and I really want to go. You got to go. Although I do think there may, I may have a low grade arrest warrant waiting for me in Hobart. Oh my God. Why? What happened? I went there. Yeah, I was there with work briefly and I went to this really cute cafe and they gave you, everyone got their coffee in a different mug. They had all these gorgeous vintage mugs. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's so cute. But I'm actually, I'm going to go. I'm going on a walk. And they're like, it's fine. Just take the coffee in a mug. And then when you come back, just bring us the mug. Okay. And I was like, Tasmania, golden people. So I go on my little walk. Lo and behold, not 45 minutes later, trip and smash the mug. (laughs) No. Yeah. So I was like, God damn it. So then I go back to the cafe. I'm like, I'll explain. I'll make it cute. I'm not from here. So like, I'll, I'll just build the story and they're closed. So I have to put the shattered mug in a paper bag and tie it to (laughs) tie it to the doorknob of the cafe and leave like a ransom note style scrawl. That's like, I'm so sorry. I'm I'm leaving. I know. And then we left. 
So I don't know. I just can't go back to that cafe. Wow. I mean, yeah. look, you could have just not returned it. Oh, yeah. Or you could have just like left it on the doorstep and been like, no, oh, shit happens. But, Sorry. Yeah. Wow. That's that's dreadful. I can't imagine like the fear. How did you like the question is, did you trip with liquid still in the mug? <laughs> I think it was done. Oh, okay. It was done. Wow. Yeah, that you really mean sucks. like a big like splash explosion? Yeah. And it's like on you and then it's like broken and it's like a whole big, whole big drama. No, no. It wow. was, I, I survived pretty unscathed, but the mug <laughs> was gone. Physically, emotionally There's a, is well, another story. I'm talking about it, what, like four <laughs> years later? So, um, so yeah. So, you know. Australia has some some hauntings in that way and definitely queer hauntings, things we didn't know were making us queer. And I would say Australia is already a very queer country to begin with. I mean, famously known for giving us Olivia Newton-John, mm-hmm. Kylie Minogue, mm-hmm. Tony Collette, mm-hmm. and koalas, all koalas. Yeah. Oh, koalas are wild. I feel like they, I mean, I've heard that koalas are like perpetually high oh. because oh, the eucalyptus the leaves... They- the eucalyptus leaves that they eat ha- have a, now don't quote me on this, but I'm fairly sure <laughs> the reason why we're constantly accidentally running over them on the road, which is morbid, is because they move so slowly and it's like that they, they're, yeah, they're high because the <laughs> eucalyptus like interacts with their brain in some way. Also that all koalas have chlamydia. I did not know that. All of them? Apparently it's like a very common thing, which makes me think like, is it the idea that all of them have chlamydia? Maybe then it's not really. It's not as bad if they all have it. Well, I guess you're right. There's certainly no stigma amongst the koala community. I wouldn't think so. Because that would be, they would be totally hypocritical. Yeah, I mean, but I wonder. If you don't have chlamydia as a koala, you have some explaining to do. Yeah, surely. I don't know. I want to look this up now. Is it because they're all having sex with one another? I don't know, but I have always felt this way about koalas and wombats, that they are like, they come across as being just very like cute and cuddly, but I think they're kinky, interesting. <laughs> like I think yeah. there's a lot of koala group sex that happens. Yes. Like we hear them at night. They're like guttural groanings of koalas at night. I think that animal Australian wildlife has, there's a big kink community. I stand by it. <laughs> I, there's a lot to unpack there. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but you do have self-tape material around you. Can you do a koala impression? Oh my God, of like a... Like, what's this noise? Have you never heard one? It's kind of like a... I live in Canada. Yeah, true. Okay. Okay, I'm going to give it my best. I'm going to stand slightly away from this microphone because I will project. But it's kind of like a... Kind of sound. That... It sounds like something out of a horror movie. Yeah, I, I don't want to have group sex with that. But it's crazy. They'll all be like, they. yeah, it's really intense. And like my family home had a possum infestation at one point. <sighs> okay. So they were like, there were like 30 possums living in our roof. And during mating season, the possums were like KOing each other and like <laughs> slamming each other against the beam rails of our roof because apparently possums are just really aggressive fornication i mean the picture you're painting is that australia's wildlife is on drugs and just horny having sex non-stop horny as hell yeah i know so you have animals who are cute but deceitful Mm -hmm. and this leads me to my next point which is you also come from a country of lies for example the whole drop bear situation yeah not real yeah not real okay have you ever drop bear punked someone i haven't but i have been drop bear punked when I was on like a school camp. And for people who don't know what this is, can you explain what this is? Well, it's all a bit mysterious, but drop bears are supposedly these like, I don't even know how big they would be, but they like live (laughs) in like trees and stuff. And when you're on a school camp, apparently there's like this likelihood that you're going to be attacked by a drop bear. And so, you know, imagining 12 year old me on a school camp covered in mosquito bites, having really bad allergic reactions to like, all of the native wildlife around me and mm-hmm. I'm like in my tent cuddled against my definitely platonic friend at the time. I mean, <laughs> we'll get there. Sad for me, oh. but I'm like in my tent and like some like 13 year old prepubescent boy is like 
throwing crap at the side of our <laughs> our tent and so we feel like we're being attacked from all all four walls and then they're making these crazy sounds turns out it was totally fine but i really was like oh my god i'm being kids. attacked by a drop there yeah i don't know what's gonna go down i first heard about them people i work with uh two australians this sinful folk who told me about drop bears and <laughs> showed me a youtube video that was like a fake news report and i'm a pretty skeptical person but i was like this sounds legit. I mean, I've seen crazier. I once heard a story that took place in Australia or it was like, no, it was a video where like a snake was in the grass and a big bird came and picked up the snake and then threw the snake at the person filming the video. Oh so your God. animals also team up. Yeah, that doesn't just surprise me at all. It doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, look, they're all very strange, really. <laughs> And, and so that's why, yes, they're all very strange. We know now that they're doing drugs and they're having sex en masse. So what I'm trying to say is, Maya, it's not your fault if you were queer at all. But what I want to do while we're here today is I want to give you a special opportunity to strike back, to finally, once and for all, point the finger of blame, <laughs> Maya Stewartson, who and or what made you queer? Okay, well, I can put it down to one very specific thing. It was Mulan, the Disney film. Mulan made me queer. It made me unequivocally queer. The music made me queer. Oh, my God. The relationships between all the characters made me queer. Mulan was so hot. I wanted to be her. I wanted to be with her. I think in a modern time, Mulan would definitely not identify as cis. I'm calling it now. I think Mulan would be like fluid or maybe even trans and Mulan was just a bad bitch and she totally that that film yeah made me super gay for sure oh my god and so I mean there's a we need to come back and talk about the remake but let's start at the beginning so how old were you and where were you the first time you saw Mulan so I would have been let me do some maths like 11 Mm. maybe very impressionable sort of horny age or maybe it came out before then I was young okay and to give you some context I always found friendships really tricky and in high school, I was quite well liked, but I was always surrounded by like guys. I always had guy friends. I wasn't really like too much of a tomboy, but I started to realize the older I got that actually all the guys wanted to be with me and I wanted to be the guys. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it was this really interesting dynamic of me like continually rejecting these like beautiful 15 year old boys because actually I was like probably crushing on their sister or something. <laughs> um, but I, for, for that reason, films and, and TV and books were totally my safe space, which is kind of why I'm an actor now, is that mm. I struggled to connect with people as a young person, but I really connected with other stories. And I remember watching Mulan on DVD. I remember going and getting it from a DVD store. And I remember my mum having to pay like a hundred dollar fine because we just failed to return so many of our DVDs like it was we were so rogue about it we would just take DVDs and like not return them the next week and my mum would just be like oh well I guess I'm just gonna there's no way out of it I've literally not returned any of them so I'm gonna have to pay this fine so it was like an 109 dollar yeah that's how those places made their money they're not making money from like a two dollar rental no no but I remember I remember watching Mulan and being so firstly kind of having a crush on um kind of having a bit of a crush on the character the little the dragon dragon that sits on the, the Eddie the dragon. Murphy voice dragon yes Mushu? yes Mushu because I think Eddie Murphy's kind of hot okay and I think there's certain voices that are really attractive so for example Mushu and then also Finding Nemo's dad in the Finding <laughs> Nemo which is like and, and and now now I will just say that it's because like finding Nemo's dad always made me feel a certain kind of way. Yeah. Because I think when I've been into men, I have unfortunately been into men that could be like my my father. Yeah, a bit of a daddy. Like thing. a bit of a yeah, like a dad bod. Yeah, I think you but, can tell a dad bod through the voice. See, I was gonna say, and I'm into that, but yeah, I guess maybe the voice, but little Nemo's dad's dad bod is a fish bud. I just want to make sure yes, it's on yes, the table. Yes, okay. yes, 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 yes. Like a bit squishy, but really nice. Oh, that's pretty cute um, actually. Overprotective. Anyway, oh. so I was always like Finding Nemo, I watched first, wept like a baby because mm. it's a beautiful film. But then I remember watching 
Mulan and being like, oh my God, this thing is happening with the voice again. Why am I attracted to this like cartoon dragon? And then I realized that I kind of liked the dynamic between like, because it's a power dynamic between um, Mulan and Moshu. And then as Mulan kind of steps into her power and is dressing like a man and has this kind of secret, I was like, oh my God, this is everything I've ever wanted. She's so powerful. I want her to, I don't know fight me in a battle and then accidentally (laughs) straddle me that that would be a disaster (laughs) but that was my intro and I used to sing I'll make a man out of you to myself in the mirror as a kid with like a hairbrush as a microphone oh that's so amazing it was like an arena spectacular of I'll make a man out of you and even now it's on my running playlist so when I'm running at the gym um the song will come on and I'll be like yes I've got all of the power and I just channel my inner Mulan You Made Me Queer, we'll be right back. And now, back to more You Made Me Queer. I love that image of you singing I'll Make a Man Out of You to yourself. Yeah. Was that like, were you cognizant of what that meant at the time? Or was it just like, boys are strong, I want to be strong? No, I, I wasn't cognizant of it but I knew that it was this idea of being the underdog that I've always really loved Mm. and so I've always loved identifying underdogs in like interpersonal relationships not only just like the underdog in a school community or the underdog in like a you know lineup of warriors um and so I loved this idea that she was really reclaiming her power and she had this secret that no one else knew but she was proving herself to really herself because the community didn't know who she was um so I, lo- so I loved that. Um, and only in the last like few years as I've really interrogated my own gender and how I express myself in terms of my identity, have I gone, oh, interesting, Maya. That, <laughs> that makes a lot more sense now that wow. you were so kind of into that. But that, that film really did it for me. And it was that classic thing of do I want to be you or do I want to be with you? And I could never really work it out. I probably still it up. It's a huge one. I hear that so many times from queer folk, whether it's about gender performance or gender identity or orientation and things like that. We got to straddle that line where it's like, I don't know what I want to do with you, but I, you, I need you involved with me somehow. Totally. I had the same experience like five years later when I watched Devil Wears Prada and I couldn't oh. work out whether I wanted to be Meryl Streep or be with Meryl Streep. But it's that, that, power dynamic of the underdog and then kind of the dictator that I always was so fascinated with and I loved being able to play both it's kind of like you know watching a top and a bottom and like watching them kind of fluctuate between those two and I always found that to be so fascinating so they, they were kind of like the big ones for me, I think. It's interesting too for Devil Wears Prada, which hilariously I saw for the first time like a month ago. Get out. Are you serious? Yeah. Somehow I missed the ground floor of that and then it felt too late. So I finally watched it. Interesting you would gravitate towards the Meryl Streep and not the Emily Blunt, who I would argue. Oh, No, no Anne Hathaway. Please keep walking. Emily Blunt. Oh my God. Star of the show. that's true. She was so good in that. That's one of my like- Devil Wears Prada is one of my favorite films. I it's great. Like loved it as a as a tween, and I would like um, my sister and I would like role play Devil Wears Prada, where one of us would be the secretary and then one of us would be Meryl Streep, and we'd like do this like little skit thing where Meryl Streep would come in with like all of these different demands, and then the Emily Blunt slash Anne Hathaway character would be like typing away my dad had this like at home office and so we'd be typing away on his like stuff and pretending to make notes and like making coffee at the same time (laughs) and I used to always I used to always love playing that version of those scenes out but obviously like I wasn't kind of playing it out with the lens of I want to be in this power dynamic from a kind of sexuality point of view right but there's something also about because I did that too a little not with Devil Wars Prada but that office worker cosplay where it felt very like empowering <laughs> like I'm using a computer yeah I don't know what that is yeah I don't know yeah look at me go I'm making calls here <laughs> I don't know what any of this means also I love that movie because you could tell Starbucks had just gotten cool yeah because they're always like where's my Starbucks exactly is Starbucks like we don't have it in Adelaide. I think is oh. it is it kind of like lame now? Is it is it not the greatest? Yeah, it's it's still popular. It's very it's not in its heyday. And 
now they're all they all shut down during COVID. Oh, yeah, because now I think it's going to become a kiosk model where like you just order coffee and they make it and it goes away. Mm. And all the cafes are closing. That's all I'm saying. That's the end of my business analysis. Wow. What's the cool chain? You're in Adelaide, you said? Yeah, I mean, we don't really, I like to pride um, myself slash my city on the fact that I think we've got the greatest coffee in the country. I also want to apologize because I think I slammed Adelaide a bit at the start of this taping. No, Adelaide is fine. <laughs> fine was a fine word to use. Okay. Adelaide is, look, I'm, I'm, I love it here for what, like I've loved it here for peak COVID times. I've been mm-hmm. able to live on my own and financially that has been like not a drama because it doesn't cost much to live in Adelaide. It's got nice coffee and, you know, it's really easy to get around and there's the beach and the hills all in sort of 30 minutes from each other. So mm-hmm. glorious. Um, creatively, I'm not the most fulfilled here that I, as, I, as I could be, which is why I move over to Melbourne sort of in the next month pending mm. their lockdown situation. But Adelaide have, we don't really have chain, coffee, huge coffee chains that are ultra popular. It could just, this just could be also my experience here, but I'm a real coffee snob, like outrageously so. Australia has great coffee, so you should be. We do. We do have really good coffee, and Adelaide has some really great bean roasteries, if that's what you'd call it. We've got this, like, the bean roasters at De Groot are really good, and they sort of have their beans at lots of different kind of trendy, cool cafes. So that would be my equivalent. That's a hot tip. I went to one. I went to the Botanical Gardens, and then we went to a cafe nearby and I may, it may have been a roastery. I don't know. That makes sense. But anyway, it was great. Yeah. That's my, that's my uh, crystal clear memory. I may have had a coffee somewhere. It may have been a roastery. Possibly. Interesting, too, if we can jump back to Mulan. Yes. That the big song for you was I'll Make a Man Out of You and not Reflection, which was like the pop uh, single. I, I was never into Reflection. I really never was. It was, for me, it was about Mulan So I've always loved in stories that classic part that's in probably like the beginning of the second third of a film where the character goes through a big transformation. Mm -hmm. So it's, if I think of like, okay, think of Devil Wears Prada when Anne Hathaway's character goes in and gets a full head-to-toe makeover, comes out as a new woman. Mm. Mulan, when Mulan finally starts getting better at the... I don't know, duties of, of being a soldier and is starting to really get a name for herself are the, are the parts of the stories that I always in my brain noted as like the big transformation in all capital letters. That was like my favourite part of TV and film. And that song for me is like the beginning of that kind of second third where she starts to really come into her own. And I think it's because, and I say this often, my work, the work that I make is often the intersection between coming of age coming out and coming into yourself, your truth, your body, Mm. whatever that is for the characters. And that transformation period when characters are are really becoming who they're meant to be to serve the story has always been the most exciting. So I think that's why the song was the best for me. Oh, that's so good. And then when was yours? Because you had this moment where obviously something was really registering in a way that you couldn't articulate, but that you felt with this, you know, whatever was crystallized in Mulan. So then what came next for you? How did you connect that to I'm different and I'm queer or whatever? Well, I think it took me a really long time to figure out that I was queer, actually. To be honest, I'd never really talked about it until like I would have been 18 and I was out at a club, like my first ever night out ever in the city. I walked into this club and just like, locked eyes on this person and it was like out of a movie where the whole world just seemed to kind of like blur and fade away and this person was uh quite masculine presenting but I could see that the person I was looking at was a woman and I was like like what's going on why why does why can I not see things properly and (laughs) it was just it was crazy and I had this moment with this person and it made total sense and then I was like oh oh my goodness, every single thing makes sense now. And, you know, my immediate friendship group throughout high school had always, like, there'd been this kind of joke that I was gay and I mm. was like, no, I'm not, I'm not, but I was. Um, <laughs> and so I think it took me meeting a person in a queer bar for me to finally join all of the dots. Mm. Whereas my family insisted that they always knew oh. and 
when I came out, it was really divided because I came out with a girlfriend. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. And, and that's because I have a, had but still do a lot of internalised biphobia, which is also directly because of the people I was associating with in high school were incredibly biphobic and mm. which is unfortunate because a lot of those people were gay men that I was friends with in high school who just yep. not surprising well I it really surprised me I did not understand <laughs> how like my gay mate some of my gay male friends were so so biphobic and yeah. Like I have lots of other queer guys in my life who rock, but I think in high school you're not, um, you know, you're, everyone's just trying to survive. And so I, I felt this huge pressure to come out with a girlfriend so nobody could say anything otherwise. And when I came out, people were really either, oh, absolutely, that makes total sense, or completely shocked Wow. Okay. to the point where like I almost wasn't believed for a really long time which is strange and yeah. was really hard um, as a teenager, which is why, you know, I, I really want to make work that empowers and celebrates young people working themselves out and being believed yes. and being oh validated because I feel like that's important. Yeah, what a weird task to give someone who is coming into themselves in such a beautiful and, you know, empowering way to then be like, prove it. Totally. And I felt like that, uh, like probably for the first three, four years of me being out about my sexuality, my first two mm. girlfriends, I felt like I was constantly being told to prove it. And are you really? And, oh, what about this? And what about this? And you've dated guys and blah, blah, blah. And I still maintain that gender and sexuality d don't make an impact on me in terms of who I connect with. I love humans for humans. And, and, and I think that's a really powerful thing, but it's amazing how when I was a teenager, it was seen as a weakness and like I was yeah. unable to make a decision or I was being greedy or I was doing it for attention. All of those awful biphobic and homophobic tropes, I just was knee deep in, just wading <laughs> through them, trying to work it out. Um, but I would say that my equivalent of really coming into my power in the way that Mulan did wouldn't have been until I was like 19, 20. Okay. I, I had had a couple of kind of pretty terrible first relationships, which was some of aspects of them were great, but some of them were also pretty damaging. And I, I basically threw myself back into my acting and my creativity and I really... I, I worked out what stories I wanted to tell and why I wanted to tell them and why the previous experiences I'd had, I didn't want to carry through in both my creative work and in my personal life. So I feel like I kind of had my stepping into my power and my identity quite late. No, that's really interesting. And I think that's, it's a shared experience I have with you. And I think a lot of people can relate where you come out in for a lot of reasons, you come out, it's a tiered event. You, mm. you say it, you start dating, but then you start to, especially, I mean, now I think we're having a much better understanding of the spectrum, the sort of queer spectrum at large, which is so much bigger than even, you know, the acronym when I was growing up, which was taboo, but it was just LGBT, but we didn't really talk about the T. Yeah, right. And now the acronym, of course, is much bigger. Mm. And that's why I like the term queer too, because that is sort of a algebraic variable where you don't really know what that means to me and you have to have a dialogue with me to understand what that means and I can wake up tomorrow and change the definition of what that means and that's totally up to me to do. Totally I completely agree on on that sentiment about queer that's how I identify mm -hmm. um, and often people want to know like what letter I am and they'll actually <laughs> say that I'll be like so which letter in the oh, you know in the spectrum are you and I say well the the beautiful thing is that I can decide that and that that can change and actually being malleable and messy and, and working out and being in flux is such a powerful thing because who wants to be stuck in one box for the rest of their life? I mean, amazing if that's how you choose to identify, but for people that are changing and are in flux, I think it's so, it's amazing to have a word that for a lot of people signifies that, you know? Yeah, I do love that. And I think it fits perfectly with the work you do. And I hate to say this because I feel like we're just getting started, but we are starting to run out of time. Sure, 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 sure. So before I let you go, and I really don't want to, Maya, would you like to play a game? Yeah, of course. Oh, great. Okay. This game is called Queer, Queerer, Queerest. Queer, Queerer, Queerest. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give you three things. Mm -hmm. You're going to put them in order from least queer to most queer and tell me why. Okay. Go for it. Any no questions? You're ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yes. yes. This is a self tape girl. Okay. <laughs> thing number one. <laughs> and this is a coincidence because I wrote this before our chat. Thing number one transformation sequences. For example, like Sailor Moon, Wonder Woman, Mulan. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Feeling it. Thing number two, indoor camping. Like if you make a couch for it yep. and you sleep inside, but not in a bed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thing number three, self-composed novelty coupons. <gasps> so for example, like for someone's birthday, if you're like, this coupon entitles you to my unconditional love or a grilled cheese sandwich at any time you want. Okay. All right. I love this. Okay. So to recap, transformation sequences, indoor camping, self-composed novelty coupons, least queer to most queer and why? Okay. Self-composed coupons are queer, number one, um, because I feel like they are not only reserved for your queer crushes. Like I, I'm imagining okay. the the queer, sorry, no, I'm imagining the um, novelty, what am I saying? I'm imagining the novelty coupons that I like gave to family members and I, okay. and my, and my brain is unable to put that in a, in a queer space, but I can see how they would also be queer. Um, the second has got to be transformation sequences. Oh, I'm surprised. Okay. Okay. But the, I, I will explain why they're second for me because, well, actually they're going to be second because the third has to be the third. Um, and, and, and that is the indoor fort sequence has to be the queerest thing for me. And I want to tell a super quick story, but one of the key ways I worked out that like when I backtracked and started talking to old family friends of mine and, and, and friends that had been in my life for a long time, I had this friend that was like, do you remember that game we used to play? And I was like, what, what are you talking about? We used to build these forts in my dad's home office and play this game. My darling friend Lottie and I would play this game that our husbands have gone to war and so we have to bunker in together. But <laughs> our husbands fun? never fucking come back from war. <laughs> and so what we have to do is suddenly repopulate. And so we would play this game where... Husbands, no. Oh, they're, they're gone. Quick, we'll bunker in to be safe. But now we have to repopulate the planet. That's such a burden. How on earth are we going to do it? Oh, I don't know. We'll just make it happen. And so we would have this like repopulation game. And I just want to clarify that we would have been like seven, eight, nine. I had, we had no idea what we were doing. Yeah, but yeah. at the time I was like, this is the best game ever because I get to have a crush on my oldest friend. And she talks about it still as like she would go home and her parents would be like, you guys are both queer. This is the cutest yeah. thing ever. You're just so, playing mom and dad. They're like, great. Okay. So you repopulated the planet. You had to have, I guess, I guess sex. You didn't explicitly say through sex, but unless you were like immaculate conception. Well, we were, no, it was always this like weird thing where it, the repopulation of the planet was we would um like test tube baby style so we oh. would get like a whole bunch of like water in little tiny containers and we would like stir it around and like blow magic into it and we were repopulating the planet and it was just it was a really bizarre thing but the subtext of it was I would repopulate the planet with you if we <laughs> were forced to if our husbands yeah. left us I would take one for the team and we could oh raise God. a family together also we I were, wonder sorry go on no, no I just also think it's kind of like a funny, a funny childlike version of how so many queer couples have to kind of have IVF and all of these different things to have their own kids. So I think it's kind of funny that my like eight-year-old brain was in that space. I love that you're ahead of your time. Also, so that's the TV series I both want and demand you produce in the next, mm, I'll give you a year, Okay, but I think you can do it faster than that. And then the spinoff show I want is those two husbands who definitely did not die of war. No. They snuck away. Yes. And lovers. they're getting up to some crazy shit. Yes. Lovers. Yeah. Maybe they're all, it's like a Thelma and Louise thing and they're also criminals. Oh my gosh. I could definitely see that happening. You And you can take this these. So these funny. are yours. You can sell both Thank of you these. so much. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> so it's a great think tank. Yes, absolutely. After this podcast, I'm going to call my friend and be like, you'll never guess what story I just told <laughs> to a whole bunch of random listeners but do you remember that game Lottie shout out Lottie I know I know she'll she'll love it 
she'll think it's the best. Heart of gold, heart of gold. Lot, you watch out for those drop bears. Yeah. So you've answered these questions, but this is a scientific test. So I just need to take a moment to just check the results if you mm-hmm. don't mind. So here, I'll put this number here. Congratulations. You win, Maya. And you are, in fact, a queer person. Oh my gosh. I never knew this, but now I do. Hooray. The results are in. The transformation that really matters. It's complete today. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. So congratulations on that honor. And now before I let you go, is there anything you want to plug? Um, I've got a few things in the works. I'm bringing back my podcast. I've had so many people be like, where is it? But we've had a name change and there's a different kind of team helping make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll announce all of that on my Instagram. So I'm at Maya Stewardson and that's probably where I put all of my silly things on the internet. Go there at Maya Stewardson, Maya M-A-I-A-H. Yes. Uh, Stewardson. Yes. I like that spelling very much. Uh, Yes. And also if you're listening outside of Australia, you may be having one of your first chances to see some of Maya's films, which have already aired in Australia. Uh, So please go check them out. They are, I mean, I'm not going to start raving about you now, but (laughs) you got it. You got, you're so watchable and you have a style to you and intelligence to you that uh, I understand more now having spoken to you for an hour. Oh, thank you. I was so worried that I was a bit like rambly. Every time I get (laughs) on a podcast, I I remember that I have to really focus on what I'm saying because my imagination is so much bigger than me. It'll take me on a whole a whole spectrum of things all at once, but it's been a total delight. Oh my God. Thank you. That the spectrum of things is all I want. So thank you for bringing it to the table. (laughs) And I do want to tell you, I was pretty queer when this conversation started, but Maya talking to you has made me queerer than ever. Oh, mission accomplished. So (laughs) happy to hear it. (laughs) I salute you. (laughs) Okay. Thanks so much for coming on Maya. Thank you for having me. Okay, and that is our show. Man, that was a fun one. Thanks, Maya. As always, feel free to shoot me an email at youmademequeer at gmail.com. I will read it. I read all of the emails I get. If you share your You Made Me Queer story, I may read it on the podcast. If you write something private, it's just for you and I. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. It really helps us get heard elsewhere. And I'm ready to grow, babe. And that's that. So... Q credits. You Made Me Queer is created, produced, and edited by me, Trevor Campbell. Our theme song is by Critty. For more of her music, check out lavenderbruisers.bandcamp.com. Our website is youmademequeer.com. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are at youmademequeer. New episodes of You Made Me Queer come out every other Thursday. And we're brought to you by the Sonar Network. And from the bottom of my big bent heart, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, we're here, we're queer, and it's your fault!